First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, do you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have been with us, you know that we have been uh, journeying together through the book of Nehemiah for the past several weeks, and we will return uh, to the book of Nehemiah before this Greater Things series is completed. Uh, But we're going to take the next week or two and look at what the rest of the Bible has to say about this uh, subject, this important subject of generosity. And uh, really, we started to look at this subject last week. Uh, We saw that the people of God in Nehemiah's day were willing uh, to be generous in many ways. They were willing to be generous with their time and with their resources, with their, their energy, to do the work that God had called them to do of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And we know that the Lord has called us as a church to a great work as well, that He has called us to greater things, but those greater things will not be possible uh, apart from the Lord's work in our hearts, apart from the Lord bringing us as a people to a place of greater things, generosity. And the question that I want us to be thinking about today is is this, why is it that we as followers of Christ give? Why is it that we as followers of Christ give? Why has God called us as His people to be a generous people who are willing to give our resources and our gifts and our time and even our lives away if He so calls us? And the answer, according to the Bible, is very simple. We give because of the gospel and for the gospel. We first off give because of the gospel, because we are people who have been the recipients of God's greatest gift of all, His Son, Jesus Christ. Because of all that has been given to us in the gospel, we are a people who want to give back to God. So we give because of the gospel, and we also give for the gospel. As people whose lives have been changed by the gospel message, we want to give so that other people's lives can be changed by that same gospel message as well. And that is what Greater Things is all about. It's about expanding these facilities so that we can make room for people to come and hear the gospel and be changed by it. It's about planting churches here and around the country so that others can hear the gospel and be changed by it. This is why we give. We give because of the gospel, and we give for the gospel. Last night, we had our uh, final vision dessert uh, meeting. Altogether, we had 16 vision dessert meetings over the last three weeks. I think I've gained about 10 pounds here in the last uh, three weeks with all the desserts that I have consumed. Uh, But it has been uh, just a a sweet time of meeting together. And uh, and every one of these vision desserts, and and hundreds and hundreds of you, I'm so thankful, were able to be a part of one of these meetings. At every one of these meetings, at a certain point in the meeting, I asked a couple of questions of those who were there. I asked folks to share, uh, number one, how did the Lord lead you Uh, to our church family? And secondly, what has the Lord done in your life and in your family 
since you got here. And and the stories that I heard were just amazing. People sharing every night about how in our church or through the ministries of our church, they came to know Jesus as their Savior. People sharing every night about how their children and their teenagers have heard the gospel here and have come to faith in Christ here. People sharing about how they have grown in, in discipleship and in their walk with the Lord since they've come here. People sharing uh, about how they have experienced the love of God when they walk through the doors uh, of this church in a way that they have never experienced before. It was just incredible to hear your stories each and every night. And every night I shared a little bit of of my story, my wife Megan's story with you as well. And since we've both grown up here in this church, that story goes back a while and would take a while for me to tell the whole story. But but just to sum it up, almost every member of my family and, and nearly every member of my wife's family has come to know Jesus Christ as Savior because of the ministry of this church. That is our story. That's what this church has meant in our lives. It's changed our lives, and it's changed our eternities. And and as I shared at those vision dessert gatherings, what greater things is about is seeing the same God who has been at work in your story and the same God who has been at work in my story, seeing that same God work in the stories of thousands and thousands of other people in the years to come. And that is why we're calling our church to sacrifice and to give. That that is why we're asking each family this Thursday night to pray and to seek God's face about what he would have you to do as a part of greater things, whether it be big or small. That's why we're asking each one to come next week with whatever that initial offering is the Lord has laid on your heart to give, whatever that three-year pledge is above and beyond your tithe. That's why we're asking you to pray and to bring what God tells you to bring because it is about that. It is about sharing this gospel that has changed our lives and sharing that here and sharing that everywhere. And my prayer is that we would always keep that mission in front of us as a church. This is why we give. We give because of the gospel and we give for the gospel. Now, the passage that we're looking at today in 2 Corinthians 9 really just drives that truth home, that the gospel is why we give. Now, the project that the people in the church at Corinth were called upon to give to was a little bit different. And basically what had happened was the church in Jerusalem was going through an extremely difficult time. They were facing persecution. Uh, They had gone through a famine that had hit uh, the area hard. And because of that, the believers in the church at Jerusalem were extremely poor. They were struggling just to survive. And so on Paul's third missionary journey, one of his main objectives was as he went around to the churches to gather an offering from the other churches that he could bring to the church at Jerusalem and bless the believers who were there who were struggling in this time of need. And so in chapter 8, he talks about how the believers in a place called Macedonia had already given 
an offering to this effort, even though they themselves were extremely poor, almost as poor as the believers they were giving to in the city of Jerusalem. And then he comes in chapter 9 as he's writing to this Corinthian church, a church that was actually far wealthier than the Macedonian church, and he was saying to them uh, that they needed to get their offering ready, that they had already promised to give and have it ready so that they could give it to bless these other believers in the Jerusalem church. And so let's pick up the reading in verse 6 of chapter 9, and we'll read down to verse 15. Paul writes, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayers for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so again, the context of this offering was different than greater things. This offering was about ministering to poor and hurting believers in another church, in another city. And, and yet, despite those differences, the principles that Paul shares here, the reasons that Paul gives to the Corinthian church for why they should give are the same reasons that God would have to motivate our giving even today. And so as we talk today about greater things, generosity, I want us, I want us to see several reasons in this text for why the Lord calls us as followers of Christ to give generously. First off, as Christians, we give generously because we have already given ourselves to the Lord. Uh, most of the principles, in fact, all the remaining principles that we're going to see are going to come from the verses we read in 2 Corinthians 9. But to see this particular truth, we have to go back a little bit into the context of first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I said a minute ago that before Paul appeals to the Corinthian church about their offering, he holds up as an example the offering that the Macedonian Christians had already made, even though they were so poor themselves. Look at how he begins in chapter 8, in verse 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering 
to the saints. So again, even though they were almost as poor as the people in Jerusalem that they were sending this offering to, Paul says that they were literally begging him to let them be a part of this offering to be able to bless these other Christians in Jerusalem. And in verse 5, Paul gives one of the main reasons why the Macedonians thought the way that they thought about giving. Look at that verse with me. Not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. In verse 5, when Paul says, not as we had hoped, he doesn't say that because he's disappointed in the Macedonians. He, he says that because they had given far more than he could have possibly hoped. Paul could not believe how sacrificially they had given in light of their circumstances. And he says they were able to do that because they had given themselves first to the Lord and then to us. Paul said it started by them giving themselves entirely over to the Lord. And because they had done that, they were willing to give themselves to us, to give themselves to this offering, to this project of blessing these believers in Jerusalem. What God really wants more than anything else is not our stuff. Because ultimately, God does not need our stuff. He already owns everything. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is not dependent upon us for anything. God wants our hearts. And so, Christian, God has created you, and then if you're a Christian, God has also saved you. And what that means is that our lives are not our own, that they have been bought with a price, that they belong entirely to God. A couple chapters before this, in 2 Corinthians 5, we find these words, And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So what that's saying is that our lives as, as Christians already belong to the Lord. And I hope we see this truth and understand this truth already. But, but if we understand that our whole lives already belong to God, then we will also understand that everything we have already belongs to God. That ultimately, as believers, we really don't own anything. God owns everything and that God has allowed us and actually described us in his word as managers, as stewards. And we are managers or stewards over what he has placed in our care and we are only managers over that for just a little while. And so church, let's do as the Macedonians did. Let's give ourselves first entirely to God. Let's make sure that there's not any part of our lives that we have not surrendered fully to God. And then once we have done that, once we have given our lives fully to God, then we'll be able to give whatever he asks us to give and to do that with the right heart. And, and before we go on, I do just want to say this. If you are here, and you have not yet given your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior. I, I want you to hear me. I am not asking that you would give anything to this church. What I want you to do is to give your heart to Jesus Christ. 
I want you to embrace him as your savior. I want you to experience the life and the hope and the forgiveness that only comes through knowing Christ. And I actually want to share this with you. It's actually spiritually dangerous for you to begin to give money to the Lord when you have not yet given your heart to the Lord. Because what can happen is you can actually over time begin to convince yourself that you are okay with God because you have paid him. But salvation cannot be bought. Ultimately, we are not okay with God because of our gift to him. We become okay with God because of his gift to us. Because he has already paid what needed to be paid when he died on the cross in our place. And so we don't purchase salvation. We have to receive salvation as a free gift that God wants to give us. And that means we can't, in our pride, think that we can earn it or pay for it. We have to humble ourselves enough to come to God open-handed and receive it from his hand. And that is my prayer for you. And I want to share more before we're through about how that can happen in your life if it hasn't yet. But again, for those of us who, who know Christ, one of the reasons why we can give generously is because we've already given our whole lives to the Lord. And we know that everything we have already belongs to him. Another reason that as Christ followers we can give generously is that God has given us a heart that is glad to give over in chapter 9, Paul tells this church at Corinth that he's going to send some people, uh, some messengers to them before he gets there so that they're able to prepare the gift that they'd already promised to give. They're able to prepare it before Paul arrives to their church. And this is what he says in verse 5 of chapter 9. It says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren, the brothers, to go to you ahead of time, to prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Paul says, I'm, I'm sending you these guys ahead of time so that you can be prepared. And part of why he is doing that is because he doesn't want their offering to be a, quote, grudging obligation. He doesn't want their offering to be wrung out of them and they really don't want to give it. Instead, Paul wants their gift to come from their heart, to be something that they freely want to give. And that's why in verse 5, he uses a word for generous gift. It's a word that literally means a blessing. He says, I want, as you give this blessing, I want it to be a blessing to you because it comes from your heart. Because it's not something that was forced upon you, but it's something that you were cheerful about being able to give. And then if you look down in verse 7, you find these familiar words. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love how Warren Wearsby puts that. God doesn't want sad givers or mad givers. He wants glad givers. In fact, the word that is used here for glad is the Greek word hilarion that we get our word hilarious from. And God wants us to be hilarious, hilarious givers, hilariously happy that we get the privilege of giving to the cause of Christ. Happy that each week we're able to give faithfully of what he has blessed us with just through our normal tithes and our normal offerings. 
hilariously happy that at times the Lord speaks to us and calls us, as I believe he is right now in this greater things effort, to give to a special project, something that he can use to to reach many people with the gospel of Christ, and that we wouldn't as a church give grudgingly to that or just out of necessity because I feel like I have to, but we would give because we want to, we would give because we're glad to, because of what God has done in our lives. You know, one group of people that really is able to show us sometimes as adults how to give cheerfully is is children. Children have a built-in desire to give. Although I I did hear about one little girl whose whose parents gave her a, a quarter and a nickel and told her to put whichever one she wanted to in the offering plate. And then they said, but God loves a cheerful giver. And after the service was over, they asked the little girl which one she put in. She said, I I put the nickel in. Uh, I could give that a lot more cheerfully than I could give the quarter. (laughs) And with that little girl notwithstanding, usually kids are glad to be able to give. You know, one of the things I love about my parents is that uh, they literally save everything. I'm pretty sure they have my entire life documented in some form or fashion. And they've saved all these papers that I had from school and even some papers from, from church. And, and, and earlier this summer, my mom came across this little paper right here, and I, I could not believe it. On, on one side of this paper were some sermon notes that I took when I was nine years old from Brother Larry's sermon. And on the back side of this was a commitment card. <laughs> And it was a commitment card for, for a, a campaign that was going on in our church. This was October of 1988, 30 years ago. I was nine years old. And I came across this, and, and I wrote in here that I wanted to give 25 cents per week to whatever this stewardship campaign was about. And then there was a place that said, and add up how much this is over the next three years. And I wrote in, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Well, I didn't know then, but I do know how to use a calculator now. And so I figured it out this week, and I'm not sure I honestly can't remember whether I gave that or not. I hope that I did and fulfilled that commitment. And if I did, uh, 25 cents a week over the course of three years would add up to $39. $39. I don't know how much of a new building $39 would pay for, but I don't think that really matters all that much to God, do you? I think what matters to the Lord is that there was a child, and in my heart as a child, I wanted to be a part of what he was doing in our church. You know, I seem to remember another story about a boy who brought a gift to Jesus that seemed so small in light of the size of of the need. He brought what he had in his lunchbox, five loaves and two fish. The Lord Jesus took it and multiplied it and fed 5,000 people with it. And parents, I want to encourage you this week to, even as you're praying about what your gift and what your part to greater things would be, that you allow your children to be a part of that. Let them make a commitment to the Lord. Ask them what they can give. Ask them what they could even raise so that they might have something to give. I heard about a boy one time who started a roadside sanitation service where he went around his neighborhood, asked folks to pay him five bucks a month if he would take their trash cans out to the street the night before they were supposed to be picked up and then wheeled them back up to the house after they were done. And everything that he raised, he gave 
to the church. I've heard about families that have decided together that one of the ways that they would give is by only drinking water at restaurants whenever they went out to eat. And they added up how many times they went out to eat in a typical week and multiplied it by a year, multiplied it by three years. And that was part of the gift, one of the sacrifices that they made to be a part. Again, it's, it's not the amount of the gift that matters, it's, it's our heart. And we give cheerfully because God has given so much to us. And who knows, it may be that the gift that pleases the Lord the most during these days of greater things is a gift that comes from the heart of a child who is glad to give. Because God loves a cheerful giver. That's one of the reasons that we give, because he's given us a heart that is glad to do so. Here's another reason we can give generously, because we know that we can never outgive God. Look at verse 6 in chapter 9. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now on its surface, this is a pretty simple illustration. Right? It's an illustration from farming. And what Paul is saying, what God is saying to us, is that if a farmer were to sow seed sparingly, if he were to have a bag of seed, and he was to take out one seed and plant it here, and then one seed and plant it there, and, and he were just to sow just a little bit of seed like that, then what kind of harvest is he going to get at the end of the season? Right? He's going to get a small harvest. But, but conversely, if that same farmer reaches into his bag and he casts out the seed and he casts it out bountifully everywhere that he goes, then at the end of the harvest season, he's going to reap a great harvest. And, and again, the point is so clear. The more we sow, the more we give, the more harvest that we will receive. But the less we sow, the, the stingier that we are, the more that we hoard what God has given to us instead of give it away, the smaller the harvest that we will reap in the end. That is the principle. And yet I do need to say this, that there's probably few verses in the New Testament that have been abused by preachers more than this verse. Some preachers will say that, that right there, this is what's happening, is that God is saying that if you will sow the seed, that, that he will give you a harvest, and that the harvest that God is talking about is a financial harvest, a, a windfall that you're going to receive if you'll just give. And sometimes these are preachers that are on TV, right? And you've seen their infomercials late at night, and they say, if you will just uh, send that check, if you will just send in your seed gift, then God will bless you far beyond your wildest dreams. And yet, that really is not what this passage is talking about. In fact, Paul does not say in 2 Corinthians 8 that when the Macedonians made this sacrificial gift, that the next thing that happened was that they all got to live in mansions. Right? That's nowhere in this passage. But we do know, according to the Word of God, that God did bless them, that he blessed them in other ways, because it is impossible to outgive God. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. There are spiritual blessings that come to the person who is willing to give that the person who is not willing to give will never experience. In verses 9 and 10, we see that one of those blessings that we receive is that the Lord grows us to be more righteous. He grows us in our hearts to be 
more like Jesus than we were before. Now that's the kind of reward that people who don't know Christ really don't care about. But it's the kind of reward that a child of God cares about more than anything else. There are blessings. There are rewards that come to us in this life. And of course, Jesus told us in Matthew 6, there are also rewards that come to us in the next life. And we don't have time to go there, but in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches that we should store up treasures for ourselves in heaven rather than on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in to steal. He told us that where our treasure is, there our heart would be also. So Jesus tells us and warns us, we can't keep anything that we have on this earth when we die. As people have said, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul behind it. Right? There's no need for it. You can't take any of that stuff with you. You have to leave it here. But Jesus does say that we can send it ahead. That we can invest in ways that will not bring a dividend 30 years from now, but will bring a dividend 30 billion years from now. We can be a part of something that makes an eternal Difference. So again, whether it's here in this life or whether it's in the next life, the principle still remains that God rewards, that God blesses, and that the more we sow, the more we will reap a harvest. And we believe this principle is not just true at the individual level, but it's also true at the level of our church. And that's why a part of greater things is that for every dollar that is given, 10 cents of that will go to this church planting pipeline that will be used to send out new churches, church plants here locally and around the country and Lord willing around the world because we believe as a church that you can't outgive God. And that if we're a people who are faithful to send and to give, not to hoard, but to let go of our resources, to let go of our very best people, and to send them out for the sake of the gospel, again, that we can't outgive God, that the Lord will be faithful to continue to bless our church and to send people to us to minister to. That's one of the reasons why we give, because you can never outgive God. Here's reason number four. We can give generously. Because we trust the Lord to supply what we give. We trust the Lord to supply what we give. Look at verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. This verse is here because the Lord knows how we think. And he knows that, that we think that if we make a really sacrificial gift, a gift that requires us to, to, to lean on the Lord, <clears throat> that we worry that in the end that we're not going to have enough to live on ourselves. And so we think, well, maybe I really shouldn't give that because I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And, and the Lord knows our hearts. He knows our tendencies. He knows our fears. He knows our worries. And yet, He's seeking to alleviate our fears here. Look, look in verse 8. Did you notice all the alls and all the everys in this verse? God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. God is saying to us that we're not going to miss out or to lose out when we are faithful to do as he has called us to do. He gives us a couple of promises in this verse. He says, I will supply what you need and also I will supply whatever you need for every good work that I have called you to do. 
And in verse 11, he makes the very same point. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So this is how it works. We, we give and we are enriched by God. We've already said that that enrichment happens in a lot of different ways. Many of them are, are spiritual ways. And, and yet, of course, one of the ways that God can choose to bless us, if he so desires, is materially. But, but notice the objective in that. Why, If God has blessed you materially, why has he blessed you? Why has he done that? Look at verse 11. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality. In other words, God blesses us so that we can be generous in our giving to others. That is what the Word of God says. And so if you're in a season of your life right now where the Lord is blessing far beyond what your needs are at this time, then according to this verse, the Lord is blessing you and blessing me so that we can be a blessing to others. He blesses us for all liberality, so that we can be liberal in our giving and in our investment in what he is doing in the world. But maybe there are are some here today and you find yourself financially in a very different place. And you want to be a part of greater things. You have a heart that wants to be a part of greater things. You've prayed and you believe that God is leading you to be a part of greater things. And yet you look at your bank account and you're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do this at all. What do you do? Or maybe you're thinking, you know, three years is a really long time. I mean, what if I make this commitment for three years and in one year I lose my job? Or in one year I get sick and I'm not able to fulfill that commitment. The truth of the matter is none of us knows what even the next 24 hours are going to hold. Much less the next three years and the Lord knows that. The Lord is the only one who knows the future, but this passage gives us great confidence that we can make whatever the pledge is that the Lord is leading us to make, and we can trust Him that He is the one who provides seed to the sower, as this passage says. He, he is the one who puts the seed in the bag that we are able to give as the Lord leads us to give. We trust in Him to supply. Now, if something changes in our lives in the next three years and we reach a point where no matter how much we want to, we're just not able to give, of course, the Lord understands that. The Lord knows that. And He is sovereign over every detail of our lives. And He knows our hearts and our heart's desire. And so we can't allow worry or, or paralysis because we don't know what the future holds to keep us from being obedient to what He's called us to do in the present. We trust that he will supply what he leads us to do. Here's another reason we can give as Christ followers, according to this passage. We can give because we know that our giving will one day cause others to glorify God. We know that one day God will use our giving to cause others to glorify God. Look with me at verse 12. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Now, obviously, the Corinthian church knew that they were being asked to give to meet a particular need. The Christians in Jerusalem were poor. They were going through a famine. They needed help, and the offering that they were giving would provide that help. But he tells them in this verse that the gift that they're about to give is going to do a lot more than just meet that physical need. What he's teaching them and what he's teaching us is that their gift was going to start a chain reaction. 
And a lot of other things were going to happen in that church and even in multiple churches because of their giving. And so it is with our giving today. At the end of verse 12, he says, Your gift is going to cause many thanksgivings to God. So in other words, because of your gift, it's going to cause these believers in the church of Jerusalem to give many thanksgivings to God. That they're going to thank God because of you. And that's the same thing when it comes to our giving. That our giving will lead others. Our giving today will lead others to thank God tomorrow. And then he says in verse 13 that it's not just that. It's more. He says, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ. For your liberal sharing with them and with all men. So not only does it lead to thanksgiving, but it leads to worship. He says they're going to glorify God because of your obedience, because of your sacrificial giving and your sharing with them. Verse 14, he gives another result that will happen. By their prayer for you. He says because of your giving, they're going to do more praying. And Paul envisioned that when he and his team brought this gift to the saints in Jerusalem, that it would cause the saints in Jerusalem to pray for the saints in Corinth. And of course, it works the other way as well because Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart goes also. And so when we begin to give to someone or we give to a ministry or we give to a missionary, suddenly we begin to be a lot more invested in that. We've given our treasure and so our heart follows behind it and so we begin to pray for them. We begin to pray for God's work through them. And so our giving does more than just the funds. Our giving does something in our hearts. Causes more praying to happen, more worship to happen, more thanksgiving to happen. It also causes more love to happen. He says, by their prayer for you, verse 14, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Paul is saying that this gift, this offering that's happening between mostly Gentile believers who are giving to mostly Jewish believers in Jerusalem, this is actually going to result in more love in the church between Jewish and Gentile believers. I think this was part of Paul's plan all along. This offering would foster love in the church, love that God wants to see happening in the church, and it still works that way today. Hoarding isolates us from one another, but giving brings us together in Christ. And as I thought about this, as I thought about what Paul wrote to this ancient church at at Corinth thousands of years ago and how their giving would, would result in all of these things that they probably weren't even thinking about at the time, it just reminded me of how God will use our giving through greater things to result in things that we have no idea about today. And that caused me to start to think about those that have come before us in our own church. Those that have already given in the past and how God has used that even in the present. Now this is one of my favorite pictures of, of our church. It's in the book that we provided at the beginning of Greater Things. You can see the date on there, January 17th, 1926. Only five years after our church was founded. The church had grown to over 100 people. And it was during these years, if you know about the late 1920s and the 1930s, that was a very difficult time in the history of our country, a time we call the Great Depression. And yet it was during those years, in the very middle of the Great Depression, that these people that we're looking at on the screen, we don't know most of their names, but these people sacrificially gave, and in the middle of the Great Depression, they paid off the first note that we had on our first church building in downtown Melbourne. 
This is a picture from the 1950s of when they were breaking ground in downtown Melbourne on the worship center, the sanctuary that was built there. This is a picture of a couple years later when they were breaking ground on a new education building so they could start new Sunday school classes at that campus. And then we fast forward 40 years to 1999 when there were shovels maybe right where we are sitting, where some of you and others who have gone before broke ground on this church that we're meeting in right now. And they gave sacrificially. They, they gave in order that we could be here today, that we could hear the gospel, that lives could be changed. And as I thought about that, I thought the Lord has already answered what Paul is speaking about in this passage, that through their giving, more worship has happened, more thanksgiving has happened, more, more praise has happened, lives have been changed. Some of you in this room in the last couple of years have heard the gospel in this place and your lives have been transformed. And in part, you have some people to thank who lived in 1926. And their generation who gave sacrificially to the Lord, not even knowing your name or my name, but they gave because they felt that the Lord wanted them to give and the Lord has used it and it has borne fruit that they could have never dreamed about. And now, church, we, we see this picture of this rendering of what this new worship center could look like and we, we realize that now it is our turn. That as we as a church family sacrifice, as we give in these days, we do so praying and believing that the Lord will use these gifts so that more people can come into his kingdom. Both through the expansion of this facility as well as through the churches that will be planted out of this church that in the end there will be more worship and more thanksgiving that rises from the heart of people who today are lost but one day will be found because of the grace of Jesus Christ. This is why we give. And then finally, the last reason I need to mention that really runs throughout all of these reasons is the gospel. We give because of the gospel. We give for the gospel. We can give because, number six, our God has given us an indescribable gift. I love how this section of Scripture ends after talking about giving for two chapters. Paul does not end in saying, by the way, thank you in advance for whatever you give. He turns their attention and he turns our attention to a far greater gift when he writes in verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And the word indescribable there is a word that had never been used in the Greek language until 2 Corinthians 9. What does that mean? It means that Paul made up a word. That Paul coined a word in order to describe the indescribable gift of Jesus. And when you think about that, think about the words that we use to describe our gifts, right? We say, wow, that gift was just amazing. Now, that gift was wonderful. That gift was so generous. That gift was so thoughtful. What word are we going to use in the English language to describe the gift of Jesus Christ to us? What word can we come up with that is sufficient for how deep the Father's love is for us? That he has provided his son Jesus for us. That as it says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that Jesus Christ, who was rich, left the riches and the glory of heaven and took on poverty. That he took on the poverty of the manger. Ultimately, that he took on the poverty of the cross. 
What word is there that is sufficient for what he has done for us? That on the cross, he has paid our sin debt in full. What word is sufficient to describe his resurrection from the dead? What word is sufficient to describe the fact that in Christ we have been forgiven, we have been washed, that we have been adopted, that the Lord wants to use us in his kingdom purposes, that one day we get to go and live with him forever and ever? What word is sufficient for that? It is indescribable. Praise be to God for his indescribable gift. You know, probably my favorite verse in all the Bible that, that talks about giving is, is really the most famous verse in the Bible. It's John 3.16. If you know that, would you say that verse with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, when we think about giving, giving is not some random topic that has nothing to do with the Christian life. Giving is at the very core of the gospel that has changed our lives. At the very center of the Bible, it is ultimately all about a gift that God has given to us. And that gift has a name, and that gift's name is Jesus. And really, you know, the only difference between those in this room who are Christians and those in this room who are not is that those in this room who are Christians have received that gift into their life. It's not that we're better, right? It's not that we're holier than thou. Any holiness that we have is a gift that has come through Christ to us. And so if you're here and you are not yet a Christian, it's really because you haven't yet opened up your hands to receive that gift, the gift that God has given to us, the gift of his one and only son. And you can receive that gift today. And that gift will cover your sins. You can leave this place today knowing that you have been forgiven forever. That you have a new eternal destination because of what he has done in your life. And it will transform the trajectory of the rest of your life if you truly receive that gift into your heart. I want to ask you to stand and I want to just, I want to pray for you. And if you're here, I want to ask you to come in just a minute. Father, we thank you that you so loved the world, that you gave your one and only son to us. And I pray now for anyone in this place who has never received that gift, that today they would. That they would come with open hands and an open heart. Father, that they would experience your love today. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 